This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Listen. This is the sound of Sandy Fisher's loom at work, weaving some of the linen she had spun from some of the flax she grew in her Northern California garden with the Chico Flax Project and the Chico Cloth Fiber Collective. Some people garden for food, some people garden for beauty, and some people garden and farm for cloth. Really? The obvious one is cotton, which comes from the cotton plant. Okay, right, we all knew that. Rayon, though, is produced from tree cellulose after quite a bit of chemical processing. And linen is produced from the flax plant. Processing the flax plant into beautiful and durable linen cloth dates back to the ancient Egyptians. The oldest known piece of extant linen dates back 10,000 years. Sandy Fisher is a weaver and fiber artist who, since 1980, has literally interwoven her artistic eye, her impulse to garden, her love of natural fibers and natural dyes to create functional art. An appreciator of beauty and all its textures and colors and patterns, Sandy Fisher is a co-founder of the Chico Flax Project and Chico Cloth, both of which are working to incorporate greater sustainability into the fabrics with which we surround ourselves. Sandy and both groups will be represented at the annual Fiber Fusion Celebration at Patrick Ranch in Chico the weekend of October 8th and 9th. Today, she joins us in the studio. Welcome, Sandy. Good to be here. Nice to talk to you, Jennifer. So I always like to start with what influences in your life led you to a love of nature and these patterns and colors and plants? Oh, I think it goes back to those days of camping with my family. We'd always go out. We had a trailer, and we'd go all over the country. Um, And then as I got older, it was just being out hiking and backpacking. And there's this spiritual sense I get when I'm out in the wilderness, and that connection has been really a big part of who I am. When did you first learn to love and work with fibers? Was that also as a young person? You know, it probably was because I think of myself as a knitter. Um, All those hours in the car driving, you know, going to places with my family. Um, And I always... I remember, I remember distinctly when I first saw weaving, if you want to know when that came to my life. Yeah. I mean, my mom didn't do it. I mean, it was all, was knitting. So there was always that tactile uh, quality that mm-hmm. attracted me to fiber, touching it and making things with it. Um, and um, she, we were on one of our trips, many, one of our many trips um, in Massachusetts, happened to be in Nantucket Island, and I was looking at a storefront, and there was a weaver in there. I'm like eight years old. I'm just mesmerized by the loom going and the shuttle going back and forth. And I remember they were weaving with leather and ribbon. So it was just this color array, you know, and textural. And that just kind of stayed in the back burner there in my thoughts. And it wasn't until I got to college. I um, was an art major, and they had this off-loom weaving class. Oh, that sounds cool. And 
just fell in love again with that tactile. We weren't on the loom. We were doing other techniques. But it was just like, yeah, I've got to get to the loom. And then when I did, it was just, this is this is my home. Yeah. <laughs> and I ended up going to study in Scotland and learn from someone over there after I graduated from college. So you graduated from Chico State yes, in, with an, in, an art degree, and you emphasized weaving, and then you went and did a practical internship or apprenticeship Mm -hmm. in in weaving in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And then you you came home. Came home, and I thought, this is what I'm going to do. My teacher would make bolts of fabric. And I thought, oh, I could do that. You know, I just was inspired. And I started weaving little samples, and I sent them off to Vogue Patterns. Just, you know, it was was an article I read. Actually, it was Vogue magazine or something, and so it was featured. And I sent it to this person, and it got to her desk, and she found me a rep. Um, it was just a timing thing, you know, yeah. a fluke thing, you know, and I just thought, I'll do this. And I just had these little two-inch samples, and um, I started making fabric for designers. Then I started to work with local groups. There was the cottage artisans, and, I, and you know, selling fabric wasn't really, for our community, wasn't really effective. And so I came up with a line of interiors and found a niche in that, and that was like 20 20 years ago or so. Right. And I kind of got known for my table runners and placemats and curtains. And so that's been my little niche. I was doing a lot of cotton and a little bit of linen. They came from Europe, most of them. I had a middle person that I, you know, I still find those uh, nice uh, yarns. But um, So describe the the events that led you to and maybe there were multiple sources of inspiration that moved you in to a direction of more locally sourced and more sustainable fibers. Well, that really happened about three years ago. Um, there is a movement called Fiber Shed that's been going on um, in the Bay Area. A woman, Rebecca Burgess, has started it. And it's it's spreading not just nationally but internationally. And in this fiber shed, the idea, it's sort of like our, our farmer to table. This mm-hmm. is farmer to clothing, as you mentioned a little earlier. Um, and so she started this concept of the 150-mile radius in the Bay Area. And little at the time when this idea came about three years ago, I really didn't wasn't aware of that going on. That's why I wanted to mention that first. Um, I got a call from a local uh, community member who was very concerned because she was hearing about how our clothing was made and the fire in Bangladesh. Remember mm-hmm. that? I do. And she just said, I'm, I'm just not going to buy clothes unless I know the source of it. And then she says, well, what are weavers doing? I went, oh, well, I could weave you something, you know. And I talked to a friend of mine and Wendy Ardell, and she, we had been our, in our Mountain Lassen Fiber Guild that puts on the fiber fusion. We had been talking about creating a local cloth. Thus, the idea of yeah. Chico cloth came about. Linen, like um, hemp, or there's at least one other. Ramey. Is, Ramey mm-hmm. is a, now you're going to have to pronounce this okay. for me, a bast? Yeah, fi- bast fiber. Right. Yes, exactly. And, so, and that they are much more environmentally friendly in that they take a lot less water and they are much less prone to uh, pest and herb pest problems. Or, yeah. Exactly. You know, um, the bast fiber, what's a neat feature about it is that the core of the plant is your linen. It's called, I'm going to say this, it's called flax until it's actually spun. 
So I'm going to use that term flax for quite a bit. Okay. And the bass fiber, because it has a hard shell around that core, which is your fiber, it can grow nice and tall. So for the producer of fiber, that's really appealing. And there are two varieties of flax. You think of flax for food? Yes. And that grows in the Midwest like crazy. I mean, that's, so that's flax seed and flax oil. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Now, the over many, many, many years, we get a fiber flax has been developed. And it grows up to 36 to even 48 inches tall. And, and that's really important for the processing it, of the actual raw product into a fiber. It's much easier to spin it and then work with it so that it doesn't break. Exactly. And in fact, linen is one of the strongest fibers um, that are natural of the plant proteins, you know, um, uh, silk being the animal in in comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got this nice, tall plant that will grow. Now, I might add that the seeds are still edible, but, you know, when you, you, they've had to separate that, you know, so people always ask me, can I eat the seeds? And yeah, you can, you know, but. And my understanding is that you grow for seed and harvest at a different time than you would harvest for the fiber. So that when you harvest for the fiber, the seed is not really at its peak quality at that moment. So people will hold different crops for different purposes. Is that correct? That's correct. And and that's something we're experimenting with. Um, the primo uh, flax that you want for fiber is right as the, the plant blossoms before it return, becomes seed. Okay. And that's when you want to harvest it. So it's kind of green. We have a native flax here in California, mm-hmm. Linum lewisii, and it grows in our gardens beautifully, actually. And it's an annual, self-seeds, and we see it growing in our some of our alpine areas. I saw it in just gorgeous meadow uh, plant communities this summer in the Warner Mountains. Oh, I was and up it's there, just, too. I saw oh, that. I was going to say that so I saw pretty. that in the Warners. Yeah, yeah. Is that the same species that you are growing, or is it just the same genera that you're the using? Gen- I'd say the genera. I'm not, my, I'm not a real botanist as far as knowing that, but, yeah, it would be, it's been developed from that. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're joined by Sandy Fisher, artist, weaver, gardener, and in many ways, activist, sharing with us her journey of gardening for sustainable cloth. We'll be right back after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back. Before the break, we began our conversation with Sandy Fisher, artist and weaver who, in 2013, became a co-founder of Chico Cloth and the Chico Flax Project in an ongoing quest for sustainable and locally sourced fibers and fabric. We're back to hear more and learn more about gardening for cloth. Describe for us the process of planting, when, what conditions, and then growing, caring for, and harvesting. Okay, well, that, that's a good question because we started out, traditionally it's a spring crop. Um, and I'm saying traditionally because my, my, my contact was my East Coast people who I, who I met last week. So we started to prepare the soil in February, and I think we had it uh, by late February, early March. About how much space? Uh, boy, what was that? Quarter of an acre? Okay. You know, it was if that. <laughs> um, and so we um, planted our seed. It was a Maryland variety that I got from, it's actually from Holland. Um, and um, we, 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 you plant, plant it really densely um, because you want the seeds to grow really, really close together. 
Yeah, and 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 no rows. It's just it's just a you know a, a big big rectangular shape is what we had. Um, and you want them close together because that does that encourage that straight upward growth. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And so uh, it's a ninety to hundred day growth period. So if we started in March, you know, then you go through March, April. May and we were starting to notice how hot it gets in May. We all know that. <laughs> and these plants thrive at 70 to 80, like the temperature we're having today is a, even a little too hot, but to really produce a nice flax. And so we grew it. And and the other thing that's interesting, one, and it did it did you know about 90 days we started to see that the seed pods and and again we're all volunteers. So it was ready. You know, it looked, we, we got the okay. I took photographs, sent them to the East Coast sources, and I said, is this right? And they go, yeah, it's ready. But you have to harvest it by pulling it from the root. From the roots. Explain that. Well, the bean is that you want, the reason for that is that you want all of the plant. Um, it's coarser at the root. But it, uh, I've, I've been learning from, I'm not a spinner, I'm a weaver, but the spinners like that little bit to where they could join the fiber there when they're spinning. Uh, um, so um, it's very important. So traditionally, you know, communities would come out and they would pull that harvest, you know, pull, pull their harvest and then um, let it sit out to dry. Because it is, I mean, like we were talking, it's not, it's still green. Right. So. So it would be little too damp to work with at that point. So you, you let it dry. You let it dry. Then what? Then it's, it's, here's the processes. This is the part where you can see where, you know, you're, you've, you've taken the time to, to, you know, prepare the soil. The plant does its thing. It grows. We pull it by hand. And then we lay it, we lay it in sheaths and um, to dry for about a week. And then you need to save your seed. And so then there's a, a term called a rippler. And what a rippler is, I love this, these words. All these words are, are great, fun. right? And it's a—it's uh, literally we've made it uh, like some nails, and then you you take your shaft and you you run it through, and it pops the seed down into. We made like a little hopper, and so then you you get the seeds quite. It's kind of a, a rhythmic little routine. Yeah. We, we get and take turns. And do you will you be able to grow those seeds on so they you are your seed crop? Yes. In fact, what's what's really kind of um, exciting that I learned last week that I didn't know what I'll share with you now is that um, it's these seeds are, are viable for up to 15 years. But after three, four years, they start kind of losing it. Um, and also another thing is that because the flax industry, there is no flax industry here. As, as you know, like I mentioned earlier, I have mm-hmm. to go to Europe to get my yarns. And here we're trying to get this going. We are at a point where we're pretty valuable in what we're doing. I mean, it's making me realize how important it is because we have to create our own seed bank. Because yeah. if I want to grow more than my little quarter acre, to get those seeds, I can't go out and just you know, write to a seed company and say, could you do that? They're not making them. So, you know, our seeds are becoming our precious little babies that yeah. we're creating. So that's pretty exciting, too, you know, that I found out. And um, so so anyway, here we've got our, we're saving our seeds, you okay. know. And, and and the first year, I'm just going back the first year, we didn't we didn't have a seed crop. We did both, a fiber and a seed crop. Okay. Um, I want to kind of lead on to that, but we will do like a seed crop this next year and, okay. a, and a fiber crop. Um so we've rippled. Then we winnow. As everybody who's worked with seeds knows about winnowing, so we winnow. And that is just for people who aren't familiar with working oh, with seed. You, you have the, the sort of drying seed and the kind of chaff all around mm-hmm. them, and you 
kind of shake them to separate the chaff and the seed. Right, and so then you end up with the seed. And then um, while that's being done, then there's this whole process of how do I get that long stalk, you know, to my fiber, to my spinner. And so then we do something called redding, which is my challenge. It's the hardest thing, and it's hard for everybody. It's a process of, of breaking, a bacterial process of breaking that outer hard, hard shell that's around there to get to that, to get to that flax inside. There's two ways of doing it. There's one way called dew redding, and there's the, the water redding. Um, I've tried both. Um, it's one of the ideas that we're working on, kind of exploring. In the dew redding, we don't get dew. It's not like we live in Humboldt County, Mm-mm. you know. Um, so we were doing some misting, and we put it on a timer and missed it. And um, that seemed to kind of work. And, and that could be like, a, depending on your temperature, again, you can do this like in the fall, you know, in the wintertime. Um, and so you'd rotate, you'd, you'd say, have them laid on, on some grass flat, and then you'd rotate them after. And redding really means, or literally mm-hmm. means rotting. Rotting, And it is, it is um, from what I understand, the, the xylem and phloem in the mm-hmm. internal core of each branch are... are adhered to one another. And this rotting process causes those to break down that's and separate for you. Right. Okay, And so that's one way. And the other way is I just got like a 100-gallon horse trough and put in a water tank. And a pond redding was how they would do it on the East Coast. And you literally put them in, you fill the water up, and you let it sit for about four days with some water rotation there. Um, and the other thing I didn't know, you have a temperature problem. Now, why I'm saying temperature problem is because outdoors. And I was doing it a couple weeks ago when it was 100 and some odd degrees. <laughs> and my water was like 98. And I thought, that'd be perfect. Well, that's a little too hot. And the other thing that I... Oh, Does the heat damage the fiber? Okay. Yes, it can. It, and it'll kill the bacteria. So you want to oh. have that, it's that bacteria to grow. It's not right. the plant. It's the, the bacteria. So, um, so you really want it a little cooler. Um, and so you can you can overret, which is a problem. So that made me really nervous. I didn't want to overret, so I've been underretting is what I found out. Okay. And so I can reret, <laughs> which I'm going to be doing <laughs> this next week. Um, try either you know the do, the do ready now that it's a little cooler, uh, with the modified misters, and also going back to my tank. Okay. And the way to test it is it's really frustrating because you don't want to have you don't want to ruin your whole crop, but you got to take out a strand of it and you got to let it dry, and then you should see the fibers just kind of falling apart. Um, if they don't, they, they're still kind of gummy. That's the way ours are right now. They're stuck. Okay. You know, and I want to get it a little more broken. Okay. So it's a time thing and just being patient with that. Yeah. And keeping that temperature at below 96. And I, was, I had like 98 or more for my water. So okay. anyway. And then after <laughs> okay. the redding? After you get the redding, you go to a, a, a tool called a break. And it's a... Um, uh, a stand, it's freestanding, has legs, and it's about three feet wide. We've had a smaller one. We're going to build a bigger one, and it has two blades to it, you know, a top and a bottom. And so you take your your redded fi- fiber and you put it in there, and you literally beat it, and it and it breaks that outer core, okay, or the outer shell, to expose the core more, and you start seeing this hair like. Uh, piece coming up and it's quite exciting and so you do that until you get most of the the shape from the outside and that's called boon that's another fun word that's the old word for it you let the boon break okay and then the next step is called scutching 
and it's a a board that you you hold and, you, and another thing I learned we, we, we at the symposium I went to is, is I was doing it all wrong I had another technique <laughs> and it, you you hold it and you kind of use a paddle and you beat it and more of that boon will fall off and then the third step is called the hackles and those are some bed and nails again that are three there are several different like three different variations like a, a big spacing between them mm-hmm. to a medium to a very fine and you literally comb it out just like you do with wool kind yeah. of okay yeah like a carter you and yep. people have used carters you could do that um until you get absolutely all that outer crust out. And it really, when you've got it, it's like baby hair. It is that soft because of the water usage. And we are in a drought. Um, and it doesn't take a lot of water, but it does take some water. Um, we've decided to grow a winter crop here. And I shared that with the people in these because they're very excited. Um, so the winter crop for us was, we, we just, as a lark, put it in my back in my garden. Um, we put it in in Thanksgiving Day. I remember that first year. And, you know, we got some nice days in November, which we can, and it started to grow. And so I had my little clean canteen, and I'd photograph it until it got, and it would grow to maybe, I don't know, six or seven inches. And then it just kind of stayed there. Oh, is that going to be good or bad? What's going to happen here? And it and it was got cold. And that January, we had like a week of 19 degrees. Yeah. I thought, oh, I've lost it. No. No, it could. No, of course, it's used to cold climate, and so it lived through that. And then it was like not until February that it just started to go. Oh, the temperature was right. We're getting into the 60s, 70s. It started growing and growing, and then by April, I harvested it. So then I thought, wow. What I see it is that the farmers, when he's not using he or she's not using their their fields, they could be growing a winter crop here, and then by April you know, put it some other kind of crop in. So mm-hmm. I could see it as a rotational type of thing. Nice. Okay. So um, that's pretty exciting. And um, so this winter we've got some plots where we're going to try some experiments where we're going to put some soaker hoses in and let the rain irrigate one area and then add a little water when we don't get rain just to see if we can get that. Because really I want quality plants. Right. You know, that's my goal. <laughs> and it does take significantly less water oh, than many crops, but – you can't take no water. Right, right. right. Okay. Yeah. I'm holding in my hands these two beautiful, and there will be lots of pictures, not only of the process of growing and then processing the flax, but also the fabric on on the website. I am holding in my hand two beautiful hand towels that you made. They're 100% linen. They're, I want to say... 24 inches by 18 inches about. Mm-hmm. And one is this beautiful kind of wheat color and cream, and there's a herringbone pattern. It's a little bit softer and a little bit more flexible than um, my second towel, which is a really bold um, kind of black and white or black and gray uh, pattern. And it's it's a little bit a little bit thicker and a little bit more rough. Uh, Of course, linen softens with washing over time. Tell us about the different kinds of linen that I'm feeling in both of these and about the process of the natural dyes in the creating Um, the... Well, it would have been um, the one on your... the, the 
that the, darker, one, the darker, coarser mm-hmm. one. It was it, it would use a tow linen, which is actually when I talked earlier about those combs mm-hmm. to get the really fine, soft. That's what you're looking for. But there's also the waste, it, it, and it's usable waste, so it, it has a little more um, coarseness to it. So in that one, I used the coarser tow linen. Where in the other one, that's the that's the creme, little creme that you're looking for, mm-hmm. that really finer, softer linen. So, And they're both just beautiful because this one is a little coarser, but perfect for certain activities. Whereas this one that's a little finer, you would use for something, you know, a little bit finer for your table linens. Or, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So it gives the designer the option, you know, it's kind of fun. So in this piece of pa- fabric, mm-hmm. how many plants do you need to grow and harvest oh, to create this? Do you know that? I don't know that, but I can tell you what you get out of one plant. You only get 10% of usable material out of one, one plant. plant. Okay. So if you have 10 pounds, you only get 10% that's actually usable out of that okay. whole, you know, de- uh, out of the whole... Um, so you get one, one pound, pound. Excuse me, of, yeah, one pound, 10%. And is that one yeah. pound of thread That's, that then... Well, it has to be spun yet. That's right. just here because I'm looking at it from that end. So, you know, here's a good example. In the colonial days when the family would have um, a farm, they usually set aside about a quarter acre. Out of that quarter acre, you know, if they were really good at processing, you could yield about 25 yards of fabric. Okay. And that might be enough for a family to do something with. And you would have seed, mm-hmm. and you could maybe right. eat some of that right. seed as well as sow some of that seed the next year. Mm-hmm. And would all of the other waste products, so the the chaff and the boon, could that all be composted right back into the field? It's really coarse. I think they would burn it probably for in fuels. I mean, that's that's the other thing we're kind of looking at. What can we do with this? In fact, over the summer, a group of us got together to decide. Well, what you know, let's find another way. You can make paper out of it, you know. So we, we were doing more art paper, you know. But if you got really good at that, you could perfect it and make it writing paper. So that would be one way to use that waste. The toe is great for being spun. Like I said that earlier. So if you get really creative, you would have no waste No either. waste at all. Yeah. So. so what are your hopes for this project going forward, Sandy? Well, I see it as a real economic boost for our environment, our, our, our community. Um, you know, you're, you've got the farmer involved who could grow it and make a decent living from selling his seed or his, and his plants, mm-hmm. both, um, to the mill. Then you can employ, and, and in that mill, I would also do the spinning because that's another, I mean, we're hand spinning. You could do that, but. You know, right, which yeah. is beautiful, but. Oh. but time-consuming. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could have you know this whole industry of the cottage industry of the hand weavers producing yeah. this fabric. You could have local artisans. I mean, the idea gets gets excited, you know, can yeah. come up with designs. It, so is, it is the perfect like loop, yeah, right? It is, and, it is. Um, and it involves the garden, which I love. Yeah, so. yeah. And then, you know, the other thing we talked about, there's natural fibers to dye with. Pull all those elements together and what do you got? You got a Chico cloth. Yeah. <laughs> so... Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it, and your work is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Sandy Fisher is a weaver and fiber artist who, since 1980, has literally interwoven her artistic eye, her impulse to garden, her love of natural fibers and natural dyes to create functional art. She is a co-founder of the Chico Flax Project and Chico Cloth both of which will be represented at the annual Fiber Fusion at Patrick Ranch in Chico the weekend of October 8th and 9th. There will be hands-on spinning, 
weaving, and dyeing demonstrations for you to see and try, as well as many examples of locally grown fibers and fabrics. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. I hope you'll listen. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Sarah Bohanning. For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit JewelGarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.